0: Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, anybody, can anybody explain this? Do you guys know what I should do with this? Can I just put it down? Okay. Can everyone explain? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know if I was. Okay. All right. Well. Good morning, once again. Uh, appreciate you guys being here. Um, we have this morning the opportunity of opening up God's word together. It's a privilege and a blessing to do that. I wasn't with you last week, um, but I'm thankful to be here this week to be with you guys and to start this brand new series. Been meaning to start a brand new series with you guys and had the desire to do the book of Acts. Um, and I think this is a perfect time to do so. I think that this is in line with the realities of a lot of you this morning. Um, kind of the context that you might be in and heading back to school now. Begrudgingly, some of you, um, some of you may not want to go back. Sorry, you don't have a choice. Uh, some of you might have a choice. Um, and if you do and you're choosing to go back, good for you. I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, you guys are going back to maybe uh, new schools in different grades, and you might be unfamiliar with these people. You might not know these people. This might be a brand-new school for you, period. So it's a clean slate, which is exciting but also nerve-wracking, and I know what that feels like. I remember graduating from a small Christian private school in middle school and then immediately going to a public school for high school and then one year later switching to another one and that was uh, pretty intimidating um, even though I'm somebody that I feel uh, feel like can get along with other people pretty easily it was still um, still a little nerve-wracking so I know what that's like I know what it feels like to go back to school um, maybe. Some of you have already gone back to school, and that stinks, but I um, hope you guys are enjoying it. Hopefully this year you guys have a good attitude and good mindset about it, but I do want to encourage you in this aspect um, to to go back into your schools with a fresh perspective and a new attitude, uh, one that is mission-minded, and hopefully we can inspire that uh, within our group through going through this series in the book of Acts, by talking about The events that happen within this book here, Um, we know that currently, even in today's day and age, you know our church it faces hard times, it faces difficulties. There are trials, there are um, things we kind of have to get through obstacles, even um, facing some level of persecution here. But across the world, you see it very evidently, and so that's something that's not new to us, and we understand that. Um, But the church here in this context, and we see it. It's not far off uh, from different things that we might know and what we might experience, and also how their goal and their emphasis and their calling should also be something that we strive for and apply in our own lives today. Not just, not just in the sense of the church, but also individually, and how we approach and we have um, outlooks on life and the way we seek to reach others with the gospel. One thing that we see here as we look at the book of Acts, as we seek to understand what's happening in the midst of this turbulent time here, you'll find um, that historically speaking and looking at the context of this, that Rome which is this predominant nation, this powerful nation at the time. They're very prevalent. They're um, the ones that, again, if you know the gospel, they're the ones that will govern everything. If you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that. Um, you see that these are the people that the, the Jews go to to crucify Jesus. And once Jesus is crucified, we know again that he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave, and what a beautiful thing that is. And Acts, it picks up right about at that point where Jesus then ascends into heaven, um, and now <laughs> the people, his followers, his disciples, are kind of left to continue his mission. And their sentence or not sentenced, better yet, they are called to do so, during this time that was known as the uh, Pax Romana, which was uh, literally meaning peace, uh, Roman peace. Um, And this refers to the time that is specifically 27 B.C., And also, um, that would carry on itself for about another 200 years, so close to 200 years after uh, Jesus. And this Roman Empire, right, it thrived during this time. There was peace. The economic uh, situation of this nation was very great. Um, But during this time as well, during this golden age for this Roman Empire, there was also a lot of persecution. Specifically towards the church. And the church faced a lot of, um, a lot of pushback. People were constantly martyred, um, put in jail, uh, abused, beaten for their beliefs and their faith. In Luke, he accounts for these things. So Luke, he is the author of this uh, book. Uh, you might also know him from his uh, book in the Bible, Luke. Um, he writes Luke here, kind of in tandem with this previous book that he has. The chapter, uh, chapter one, and the end of Luke—they're uh, not necessarily, you know, together written together, a continuation. But it's almost as if if you were to have a volume one of a of a book and a volume two, um, the book of Luke. It. It is a a very clear uh, story of what happened during Jesus' time. And then in Acts, there is this continuation of it, and it flows together. Um, If you were to imagine how they would write this back in the day, they would have probably written it on scrolls, right? So you consider the length of the scroll, and he would probably write the book of Luke on one. And once he was finished with that, this is where we get the book of Acts. And as he's writing this, he covers um, about, I want to say, a 30-year period where the church goes from uh, its foundation, right, that is in Jesus, where Jesus then ascends and goes back to heaven, um, and then how it expands all the way to the very end of the book where we find Paul in Rome. Uh, I think this is a pretty unique a book to go over right now because we are talking the book of Romans we're talking about the book of Romans we have familiarity with the apostle Paul but I think again as well it is very relevant for us as we head back into our schools as we head back into an environment that is, if I may be very honest, in a lot of our cases here, not everybody here is homeschooled. Not everybody here goes to a private school. In most situations, you're heading into a hostile environment where God's word is not the emphasis, where he is not the priority, where there is to some extent persecution and there is a temptation to not live for God. To put him aside, right? I was involved with certain events throughout the summer. I dedicated my time to God. I went to camp. I went to a Bible study. I went to this and that. I went on mission trips, even. I went to the ends of the world, as we'll read about this morning. But now, as I head into the school year, you know, this is time for me to focus on myself, for me to spend time with my friends, for me to prioritize the things that I want. You know, my sports. The things that I like doing, my activities. If it happens to fall on the day that there is something at church, if it's on a Sunday morning, I know where my priority is. It's those things. And I'm not calling you to lay aside everything that you love. Lay aside everything that God has gifted you with, right? The, the, the passions that you've been given. <coughs> those are good, but... What does that look like in our lives? What is the uh, priorities in our lives? What do we give precedent to? Um, what, what, what are we seeking? Who are we seeking? What is our mindset and what is our attitude? And that's kind of the crux of what I want to talk about here. So we talk about the early church as we look at the early church and study the early church through these next couple of weeks, um, months, I'm planning on going through this pretty organically, and sometimes, you know, like the book of Romans, as we've studied before, as we have been studying, sometimes it will be uh, very concentrated. When we look at it in specific verses, uh, but also cover broader sections of it, going over different chapters within one session, but nonetheless, the point is that you guys are following along, and, and if we do that, on a Sunday morning, throughout the week you guys are still reading this book. That you guys are understanding what God says and you guys are studying uh, the book of Acts. I think that that is necessary for us to stay on track here. That you're not trying to catch up every time we come together on Sunday morning. Um, as we look at this and we study the persecution that they faced because of Jesus, um, I want to kind of address certain similarities, talk about parallels and what that represents for them and what it represents for us. You know, we're going to cover a lot of things through these chapters. We're going to cover this narrative, this story of the early church that Luke writes about, how the church, the bride of Christ, it grows and it expands, how it was established, we'll see how the body of Christ moves. We'll see how God works in certain situations, what he does. And he he's going to illustrate that for us here in different ways. He's going to do that through descriptive means. And when I say that, it means that he's going to be talking about the historical side of things. So when you read anything right in scripture, it can be either descriptive where it's just talking about facts. Right? You can't necessarily apply certain things because it, it's not, it doesn't pertain to you. it pertains to the context there, and it's there to give you information. right? It's like a history book. And then there is the prescriptive side, right? where things in the Bible are prescriptive, and it's for you, and it's meant for, uh, for you to take and apply it into your life. It is necess- inherently prescribed to you, right? In this book, we find both of those things. We find that it is descriptive in how he's going to talk about the history of the church from its establishment to its growth, but there's also things that we can learn from this book of the Bible as well. The book of Acts is full of things that we can prescribe to our lives. It's full of application for us today in order for us to have the same focus and the same mindset that these early believers had. To go out into the world and spread and advance the gospel. That is something that we need to do. That is not something that you can choose to do. You can't turn around and say, hey, this is not my obligation. I don't want to do that. I'm going to pass that on to the church. I'm going to let that responsibility be on Pastor Brian. He can go out into the world and share it. No. That's not what this is saying, and it's not what we'll read here in the book of Acts. This is a responsibility of every single person who knows Jesus as their Savior to go out into the world and share the good news of Jesus. This is not a suggestion. It is a requirement of those who believe in our children of God. And we'll see that here as we read this book um, uh, as we go through the book of Acts, we'll also see a few different things that um, maybe stick out. Miraculous signs, gifts, things that you know are attention-grabbing, things that are wonderful, that are amazing. And we'll address some of those things. We'll talk about how God works in miraculous ways, but we're not going to spend too much time looking at that. So the premise of this study is not to understand how gifts work, how signs work, which have ceased, which have not, understand how that whole thing pans out. Uh, we can address that at a later time, but throughout, as we go on, we won't spend too much time talking about that because, uh, honestly, that is not the purpose of this book. Uh, the purpose of the book, is as, as we have stated already, it is to talk about um, the calling that we have, essentially, of being witnesses for Christ. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today um i'll get there as we go through this first section here but this morning i do want to just read through verses 1 through 11 and then spend like i said the bulk of our time looking at chapter 1 verse 8 because that is the theme of this book that is what drives the book of acts that is essentially what encompasses the book of acts why it happens so I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 11, and we'll uh, talk about verse 8 this morning. Uh, and that will really preface our time together and, and set the tone for this, uh, this series here on the book of Acts. So verse 1, uh, Luke, he says this in the first book, again, when he's talking to Theophilus here, which we don't know much about, um, when he says in the first book, again, this alludes to what I was mentioning before, he's talking about his writings in the book of Luke. Right? So he's alluding to Luke, making mention of it, saying, hey, in that first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Hey, everything that Jesus has done, everything that he has talked about, everything that he has taught, I've written about already. You can find that in the book of Luke until the day when he was taken up after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to the very point that he had been taken up to the presence of God once again to be seated at the right hand of God until the very point that he ascended back into heaven, um, Luke lays out his ministry. And again, he now picks it up here in the book of Acts. And I'm so grateful that he has. Imagine if we didn't have the book of Acts. We have the Gospels, and it's this beautiful thing. You see Jesus' ministry, and all of a sudden, boom, the the Gospel, Jesus' good news is in Rome. It doesn't really make sense how it just goes from Jerusalem and it ends up in Rome. Acts bridges those two things together. He kind of lays it out for us and gives us this history again of how you got from point A to point B. So he again, talks about uh, these things, and he says, he presented himself alive to them, and after his suffering, um, what he's alluding to there is his death, after his death, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, again, saying that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he has proven to be risen, that he has showed himself to many, um, revealing, again, that this did, in fact, happen. There is no refuting it, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again, we're going to get into this at verse 8, but this is... Uh, again, the promise that he makes to them, that he will give them the Holy Spirit. Again, you might anticipate that they're kind of worried at this point Jesus is going to leave them. You know, Jesus is kind of spearheading this whole thing. They're just following him. They're just being led to wherever he goes. They they go. And all of a sudden, Jesus is now saying, well, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm ascending back into heaven. You know, they already thought that they had lost him when he died, and now he's back, and now they're going to lose him again. And You can imagine kind of the anxiety there, perhaps. But he says, stay here because I will send a helper, a comforter, and that is the Holy Spirit. So he commands them to to wait here in their hometown before he sends the Holy Spirit. And we see here now this section, verses 6 to 11, where he talks about the ascension. He says, so when they had come together... You know, after, the, after this allotted time, um, when he is sharing with them after 40 days of being with them, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And here it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem... this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So again, right right before these angels, stand before these people and tell them, hey, just in the same way that Jesus has ascended back into heaven, he will come back one day. Right before these angels appear and say these things, you see what jesus tells these people his final kind of instruction or uh, teaching uh, even he says but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth again this is the purpose of this book we see that from this the the gospel grew an incredible amount as we even look at history. We look at today how it came from Jerusalem to uh, <laughs> Akron, Ohio, of all places. And it's scattered throughout the world. It's a very unlikely religion. Keep in mind. Of faith in a religion and a belief that was persecuted like Christianity should not have expanded and grown the way that it did didn 't have anybody that was rich or powerful that promoted it that there was no influence or leaders I guess that you could say that would have really made this a figure or uh, so incredibly important that Christianity should rise, right? When you, when you look at history and you look at the Roman Empire, again, as we've already talked about this morning, they were uh, against it, always persecuting Christians. And this was the most prominent empire at the time. And yet, although Christianity opposed what they believed and what they desired, Christianity still found itself very prevalent and saw how it, and we saw how it grew and we see how it expanded and to the point that it is today that is only because of God and because of the power of the Holy Spirit right it logically it doesn't make any sense but because our God is above and beyond logic and our own understanding it has and it was achieved through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the first thing that I want to talk about today. It's this power that he promises. In verse eight, as you look at it, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Um, Right before that, in the previous verses, in verses six and seven, they're talking about power. These these disciples, these followers of Jesus are asking him questions about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. They're saying, all right, now you've risen from the dead. When are you gonna restore Israel? When is Israel gonna become powerful again? And they're talking about this nation that's gonna rise up again, right? This triumph that they're eagerly awaiting. But this is not the kind of power that he is talking about. Jesus, right, he is not answering them and talking about the power that Uh, Caesar would have had. He's not talking about this kind of power. He's talking about the power that is coming from the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, right? But the Holy Spirit often is this mysterious uh, person, right, that we sometimes don't really fully comprehend or grasp, um, for us, it's kind of, like I said, a mystery. Maybe some people might be a little uncomfortable about addressing the Holy Spirit and what its role is. Um, some people may not know how to. Um, can't really define it, unlike, you know, the Father and the Son, were very, very clear. It makes a lot of sense for us and very comfortable talking about those things, but sometimes the Holy Spirit's kind of confusing, you can say. Um, sometimes people kind of give the Holy Spirit A lot of credit, maybe more credit, uh, and maybe elevating him to a position where he is not within the Trinity as well, above uh, the roles um, that he has, which are to make much of Jesus. Um, So let's address this again and maybe try to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what it represents for us. The Holy Spirit has come upon you is what this verse says. One thing that is very clear in the Bible, in God's word, is that the Holy Spirit indwells those, meaning it dwells within those that are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, or of God, who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Those who place their trust in the saving work of Jesus have the Holy Spirit in them the Holy Spirit descended upon those who had placed their trust and their faith in Jesus by grace through faith they had been saved and because they are saved they have the indwelling Holy Spirit with them and, and, and this Holy Spirit this power that he is talking about is the same power that has risen Jesus from the dead The same power of creation, the same power lives within us through the Holy Spirit. And as I said, this is a very unlikely religion to expand. And the things that happen don't logically make sense, but they only happen because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of the power that Jesus has granted us in order for the gospel to go out, we need this power. If Jesus had ascended and said, hey, go into the world, <laughs> go into Jerusalem, if this part was left out, we would not have been able to achieve that purpose. That plan would be void. We could not accomplish that out of our own strength and our own accord. The only reason that verse 8 makes sense for us and we can go on to do it is because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. These men and these women that lived out their lives pushing and and moving the gospel forward were only enabled to do so because of the indwelling Holy Spirit moving through them. And that's very important that we forget. Sometimes we think that it is our own strength that does things. that It is our own successes, our own uh, abilities, our own gifts that enables us to do these things and this and that. But it is not. It is the Holy Spirit's power that is working through us and enables us to do that. And through this power, through the Holy Spirit, we shall be witnesses is what verse 8 says. We shall be witnesses of Jesus. The natural result of receiving this promised power would be to become the witness of Jesus all over the earth. And that is the purpose. Right, we were given this power for a specific purpose, and that purpose was to be a witness for Jesus, to be a witness for Him. The power of the Holy Spirit of conversion is what clothes us uh, with power for a specific purpose, that we may be His witness. And notice that this is not necessarily a command either, it's a fact. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses of me. Right? That's not necessarily, I don't know, I've not been in school for too long, taking English classes, but shall be here is an indicative. It is not an imperative. It's not commanding you. It's saying, you shall be with the Holy Spirit. Those who truly have accepted God have the Holy Spirit within them, and you shall be witnesses of Jesus. He didn't recommend that you be a witness. He didn't say, hey, you should maybe go be a witness of me. There's a suggestion for you. Take it or leave it. No, this is, um, this is inevitable. This is something that he says will happen, that you will be a witness of me. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians twelve 3. I'll read it for you if you don't have your Bibles, but it says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, so no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what this verse says here is that no one that doesn't have the Holy Spirit can live a life and show that Jesus, um, can live a life and not show that Jesus is Lord. As Christians, we are governed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells inside of us and he leads us into submission to God's leadership. And what that means is that we ought to live our lives in direct um, contradiction to the world at times. What that means is that um, because of this indwelling Holy Spirit, um, we don't look like the rest of the world. And we don't do that based out of judgment, right? You're You're not not doing the things that the world does because you're judging them, because you're better than them, but you do it because Jesus is Lord. Because God is Lord. And the Spirit testifies that to us. right? He testifies to our spirits that we are his children. So there are things that you do because Jesus is Lord. And there are things that you don't do for that very same reason. There are places you go because Jesus is Lord. And there are places you don't go for that same reason. There are things that you say And things that you don't say because Jesus is Lord. There are things that you may watch or don't watch. Things that you might um, spend your money on. And things that you don't spend your money on because Jesus is Lord. Whatever it is, I can go on and on. But there are things that happen and don't happen in your life where it should be that way. Because Jesus is Lord. The Spirit, He does that within us. Because He does, it sets us up to be witness of God and testify the witness of God and how life is lived because Jesus is Lord. If you look at John fourteen twelve, this is what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. What the verse here does not say is that because we have the Holy Spirit, we can take our food in the cafeteria, bring it all together, pray, and all of a sudden just multiply and feed everybody. Um, can that happen I don't know maybe ask God pray about it and see what happens I can't guarantee that it will um can't guarantee or I wouldn't even recommend that you go into a funeral and tell a dead person to get up that is maybe not the wisest idea um (laughs) to just walk in and say don't worry that person is just sleeping get up it's going to be very awkward uh for you um But what this is saying is that this amazing ministry of Jesus will be our ministry. And as we walk alongside the broken, the sick, as we spend time with them, the least of these, when our lives are wrung out for them, that's how his ministry multiplies. Miracles exist, and we see them, we read about them here. As a staff, as a matter of fact, we gather together weekly to pray that God would work in miraculous ways, and we pray expecting God to do so. We pray this way because God calls us to ask Him to ask these things. But, although God can work miracles, this text doesn't mean that we're um, just able to moonwalk across the water, right, to do whatever. Um, that's not what this is saying, but what it is saying is that we will be a witness for the Lord. As we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we engage and serve, as we read about in John 14:26, "But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I don't know about you, but I need this. I need to be constantly reminded that Jesus is the goal in my life, that Jesus is the aim, that he is what I strive for, who I live for. He is the treasure, greater treasure than I could ever uh, lay. He is a greater treasure than anything else I could ever lay hands on. He should be the center of attention in our lives, and it's important for us to have this reminder because oftentimes the patterns of God, they take us in ways and compel us to do things that don't necessarily make sense all the time. It maybe seems counterintuitive. It maybe seems like it's a contradiction, at least based, from the, based on the world's perspective on things. It doesn't seem to make sense. And let me elaborate on it, um, on that. Success itself does not mean God's approval or validation. Success, right, money, wealth, is not a sign that you're walking in obedience. Well, the Lord has clearly blessed me because I have these things. That is not true. God himself is the treasure. And the problem is we often value things above God. You know, we prioritize wealth. We prioritize uh, popularity, credibility, um, even yeah, possessions, whatever it is, you, you, can, you can identify that. You know better than yourself or than myself what the idols in your life are. But so often we prioritize these things and importantly here to make note of is that we do so in the expense of God. We so often prioritize these things at the expense of God. If it affects our relationship with God, we really don't care. It doesn't matter because our priority is here. And so we'll sacrifice our time with God and what He has called us to for the sake of these things. But the truth is, and it should be the opposite for us. That we live for God, that we understand the purpose that He has for our lives... And we're so willing and convinced on doing it that we sacrifice other things for God. That we are willing to uh, live out our lives for God at the expense of everything else. But be honest with yourself, how often does that actually happen? How often do you live for God or choose to obey God or to follow God or His purposes for your life at the expense of something else? Have you ever chosen God over something else? Or is it, oh, well, okay, well, it fits within my schedule so I can do it. I don't have anything else going on on Sunday morning. Why not? Or I have to be here, so I guess I'll come. Whatever it is, when was the last time that you have made that decision? Because I know very often it happens the other way around. Very often we prioritize other things at the expense of God, but we don't regularly do that uh, vice versa. We struggle to, and that is why it's important for the Spirit to remind us of our purpose, constantly remind us of our purpose. That Jesus is the one who validates you. He is what you need. And this is how we become witnesses under the power of the Holy Spirit that with our lives we confess that Jesus is Lord as we pursue Jesus, our greatest treasure. That is a purpose for you and for, for me to be a witness of Jesus, not because we can do it at our own strength, no, but because we have, as sons and daughters of God, the Holy Spirit living within us that equips us to do that, and that is our purpose. And the plan that he lays out for the church here is the same that it is for us, We see here the plan to go into Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The progress of the spread of the gospel message from Jerusalem to these places is really the outline of the book of Acts. And as we go through it, you'll kind of see this uh, a little better, but from chapters 1 through 7 in the book of Acts, he describes or talks about the gospel in Jerusalem. In 8 through 12, he talks about uh, the gospel in Judea and Samaria, and then for the rest of the chapter, he talks about the gospel spreading to the outermost parts of the earth. And you can imagine only the the objections that the disciples would have maybe had, maybe said, or maybe thought when they hear this calling. When Jesus is saying these things, they may have thought about Jerusalem, thought about their hometown thought about how the Jewish people had executed Jesus. That at this very moment, they were quite angry that his body was disappeared. Thinking about Judea, how these people rejected his ministry, how Samaria, right, these are, if you understand the context of uh, the relationship between the Jewish people and the uh, Samarians, that they were half-breeds, that these were uh, people that had Intermingled between the Jewish race and the Gentile race and they were frowned upon. They did not get along with these people. And then you think about the uttermost parts of the earth. The Gentiles were seen by some uh, Jews of that day as nothing better than fuel for the fires of hell. And so as you look at all of these different places where God says, hey, or Jesus says, bring the gospel to these places to go there with the good news of Jesus. He says so, empowering them with the Holy Spirit, enabling them to do so. And again, nothing has changed. As I wrap up this morning, I just want to highlight these things for us. This verse here is really the the verse the catalyst of what we see as an outline for our own missions here it kind of it gives us in a structure to go out into the world right you see that through the youth we see that through the missions that we've done through the summer but when you look at this when you look at this calling you see the different areas and what they represent jerusalem your hometown judea and samaria your community and then the outermost parts of the earth They represent the rest of the world. These truths are still applicable to us today. So when you consider being a witness for God, consider how you can be a witness for him in these different areas of your life as well. When you go back into schools, when you are now uh, facing Um, some form of persecution. And if you're not facing persecution, you might at least face the temptation to shy away from this calling and this mission that God has given you. But I do want to close just by challenging you and encouraging you to go back into your schools now. As you head into a new school year, to keep this attitude, to keep this mindset, to be mission-minded, to look at your schools and look at your communities, look at your homes, look at the people that you know as a mission field for yourself. Again, this is not a, a suggestion that God has given his people, but it is a, uh, a necessary command that we follow to go out and spread the good news of Jesus. And you can't do it on your own, but don't worry, you don't have to. The Holy Spirit indwells you as sons and daughters of God and enables you to do that. But you have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you in that manner to be witnesses of Jesus in your local schools, in your communities, your sports teams, the hobbies and events that you uh, are involved in, whatever it may be, you have to make that decision. Make that a priority in your life, to live out for God. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you for uh, this morning where we get to get together and to be challenged. I uh, pray that as we start this Uh, book of Acts um, today Lord as we kind of just get an overall sense of what we're going to be challenged with for the upcoming weeks I pray that um, or these these truths would ring true to us that we would not forget these final instructions that you've given your followers that pertain to us to go into the world and be witnesses for God to share the good news of Jesus not to keep it to ourselves to be consumeristic but to bring it to other people to live it out to be witnesses, ambassadors for Christ. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.